Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, June 1st, 2020. Happy birthday to my daughter, Hannah. On the show today, news. And in our main segment, Jim tells us about the history of the Millennium Celebration and the Mickey Armwand at Epcot. Let's get started by bringing in the man who's just written a step-by-step guide to stair climbing. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? I'm doing reasonably well. But you say stairs, and that makes me think of Mitch Hedberg's great joke. You never see an out-of-order sign on an escalator because it just becomes stairs. Exactly. (laughs) Stairs that don't move. (laughs) I miss him. He was good. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Jim, let's do a shout-out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Also, Jim, six weeks in a row with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Thank you all so, so much. And thanks to new subscribers, T. Bryant, Tim and Jen, and Barrett N., and the longtime subscribers, Sarah N., Tim TLD, and Ryan I. Squared. Jim, these folks have just been hired by our favorite theme park <laughs> to figure out how to spray guests with hand sanitizer, but in a way that fits each attraction's storyline. So Big Thunder Mountain's first load hill is now inside something called Cleanliness Caverns. Brer Frog's backstory at Splash Mountain is that he works at the Purell factory, and all 999 happy haunts are apparently germaphobes who want you to wash your hands before coming into the mansion. True story, Jim. Um, <laughs> speaking of which, I've been hearing some stuff out of WDI. Like, I think people need to be potentially ready for this about how their favorite attractions are going to change. I mean... Have you heard heard this thing about the stretching room basically being shut down? I assume something like that would have to be. Is it going to be a walkthrough? Yeah, but again, they're going to have to pulse people through the ride and figuring out how to socially distance six feet at a time through the queue. The queue is the tricky part because it's a switchback. Yeah. A brave new world we're coming up to. There we are. There we are. And speaking of uh, of that, Jim, let's do the news. We heard uh, on Thursday, sorry, on Wednesday from the Orange County Economic Task Force from Walt Disney World that Walt Disney World will open on June 22nd with the first things being the Disney Vacation Club Resorts and Fort Wilderness. That's, uh, what, 25 days from the day that we're recording, Mm -hmm. roughly three weeks from the time that you guys are listening to it. And then uh, July 11th, the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom open. July 15th, Hollywood Studios and Epcot open as well. So let me pause there. Jim, mm-hmm. was it a surprise to you that Epcot was actually opening this early? Epcot is, from an operations point of view, the problematic part between the fact that you all of the nationals that you have to get back for the, the various World Showcase pavilions, coupled with just the sheer size of the place. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm kind of stunned to see it back. But again, we, we don't know how much of it is coming back. That's true. The other thing that I thought was interesting was the staggered opening times of the parks. So I believe that in order to space out guest uh, transportation areas in the resorts, Disney is staggering the opening and closing times of the parks. Did you see this? So Animal Kingdom opens at 8. Magic Kingdom opens at 9. I Mm -hmm. believe the studios opens at 10. Mm -hmm. And Epcot opens at 11. And then they start closing at 6, 7, 8, and 9. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But Mm -hmm. that was very clever. Yep, yeah, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was uh, something new as well. I think, Jim, going back to uh, Epcot and it was opening, if this had been a smaller park like Animal Kingdom or Studios and that much construction was going on, I think we would have seen it closed and not open till later. But the fact that Epcot is so big mm-hmm. and it allows for easier social distancing, I think, was a, was a factor in it, in it reopening. Got to be. Yeah. Also, the, uh, the other big news is that there is uh, going to be a reservation system to get into the parks. 
So you'll, uh, you'll have to reserve a slot to get into the park like you do right now to get fast passes. Uh, Disney's said that guests with existing tickets mm-hmm. for the days and annual pass holders get priority. To be determined, though, Jim, on how this is actually going to be implemented. They haven't said anything at all about whether you could park hop, for example. This will be a constantly evolving situation. The rules and the operational procedures for one week may change from oh, week to you week. you know it will. Yeah. yeah, you know it will. Yeah. But something like that, they just have to be ready for the fact that it's like, no, you are in the kingdom for the day. You don't have the option of heading over to the other park. And if that's the case, there's going to be, have to be some sort of make good for those guests with park hopper yeah. or, for example, water park fun and more options and annual pass holders who've got, uh, you know, things like that. So there's going to be some sort of thing, again, to be determined at a future date. I'm sure Disney will will do the right thing there. But yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of, besides the logistical stuff, there's the contractual stuff, mm-hmm. right? That needs to be worked out. It, it, they got plenty of time to do it. So we'll see. I, I did note though, Jim, that uh, new hotel reservations have mm. been paused yes. while they work out this reservation system. Yes, Brian from our team was redoing our reservations as Disney was talking and we got our new reservations in just under the wire Oof. before the uh, reservation system stopped. Yeah, it's kind of interesting to watch Bob Chapek out there actually talking about this issue to the effect of we have this tremendous backlog of people who have already booked vacations and they are our priority. But toward the future, we will address this. So what do you think the park capacity is going to be to start with? I'm guessing if Shanghai opened at well under 20 percent of park capacity, Mm -hmm. I would expect the Magic Kingdom to do something and the Animal Kingdom to do something similar. I'm thinking maybe 15% of park capacity on day one. Oh boy. Yeah. And that would be relatively small. That's like, that's going to be like, you know, 10,000 people in the Magic Kingdom again, Mm but you know, got to walk before you can run. No, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. But you probably heard the story out there about the relaxation spots. That's what they were called. Relaxate. Okay. I was trying to think of the name. Yeah. Yeah. So masks are going to be mandatory Mm -hmm. for guests ages three and up Mm -hmm. while you're in the parks and while you're in the public areas of the Disney resorts, Mm -hmm. because Disney knows that it's going to be July when the parks open, it's going to be very hot and we're not all used to wearing masks for 16 hours a day. Mm. There are going to be these in-park and in-resort relaxation spots. Basically, it's the, it's the COVID version of, of smoking areas, right? Yes, yes, that's it exactly. But the challenge is where to, because again, you know, face it. Yeah, where do you put them? Yeah, that's it exactly. For years now, Disney has been creeping down the number of smoking areas and putting them in, in yeah. less advantageous corners of the park or that sort of thing. Because yeah. again, they're, they're trying to discourage guests who smoke, you know, uh, to come into the park and do that. On the other yeah. hand, this is the this sp- this is different. This is different, <laughs> yeah. and it's- you can you don't have to go out of your way to accommodate smokers. And I think Disney's been been clear on that policy, right? Mm-hmm. They've not. Yeah, but people with masks, yeah, yeah. yeah I, you know, so I was I was actually on, a, on a, doing a TV interview over Zoom yesterday mm-hmm. and got this question mm-hmm. like where do you think they're going to do these relaxation spots yeah. and I fr- I mean I blanked mm-hmm. for like a good ten seconds the only thing I could come up with in the Magic Kingdom gym mm-hmm. was over by the bathrooms in Tomorrowland where you've got enough space you know behind, like behind the stage and stuff like that actually I've been told of at least two spots I mean first of all Tomorrowland Terrace. It's outdoors. Okay. It's undercover, naturally cool. Also, the building that the Diamond Horseshoe was housed in. 
Really? So they're going to do that. They're going to do that in an enclosed space. Well, no masks in an enclosed space, or they'll keep the doors open. Yeah, you're dealing with folks who it's Florida. There are heat issues. Oh, right, right, right. You know, you want to be able to get them in a situation where they can cool down. There are places for them to sit down. Disney is very, very concerned about the narrative coming out of these first couple of weeks. And so they're going to bend over backwards to accommodate folks. And it's just sort of like right now they're actually looking for a space in Fantasyland to create this very same thing. You know how in Fantasyland you go through the the gates to the, the Fantasyland forest, this sort of faux wall there? Evidently, there's talk of actually putting up a temporary tent there with cooling fans and that sort of thing to create a space right in the middle of Fantasyland. The only problem with that, where those walls are, that's sort of like the main pedestrian thoroughfare for getting to that part. I completely understand, but the argument is that if you actually remember the layout of it, to the left and to the right are entry points. So that yeah. if you set up the tent directly in the center, I mean, you face it, anybody who's walking through oh, Fantasyland yeah, 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 who gets overwhelmed yeah, okay, okay. by, you know, the, and needs a moment to remove their mask, the tent would be right there. You know, the, and the, the thing that might make this work, though, is those, I'm looking at Google Maps right now, the satellite view of it, those entryways are sort of W-shaped. Mm-hmm. They could tent them. And there's, a, there's a, enough space between the two mm-hmm. W-shaped walls yep. for regular guest flow. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to do tents and misters on those W shapes to provide breaks for people, that's doable right there. Mm-hmm. And it's also centrally located. I mean, literally the middle of fantasy. That is the argument. In fact, that's what they're doing for the walkthroughs. This is an issue that they're genuinely concerned about is going to be a hot button issue, that people are going to want to be able to take off their masks and they're on vacation. They don't want to be aggravated or overheated. So uh, real quick, is it too early to propose Tom Sawyer Island as a maskless free-for-all and call it uh, Leper Cove. Is that, is, that, is that too soon, insensitive? It's, it's the first thing that popped to mind, but I'm just saying sometimes my first impulses maybe shouldn't be said out loud. You think le- leper colony on Thompson Island? The sad thing is, if you listen carefully, Len, you can hear the frantic scribbling on the whiteboard. The team just the Orlando. It's like, Why didn't we think of that leper island? Oh my Hold God. on now. Let's hear him out. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, actually, Tom Sawyer Island, maybe not a bad idea. Mm. Open air, wide spaces. Uh, downside is that you have to take put the raft over. To, you stand in that corner, you stand in that corner, you stand in that corner. And everybody yeah, holds sure. their breath. You get, you get six people on a raft. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they could do that. They could do temporary bridge, pontoon bridge, not run the, uh, not run the uh, riverboat and just do like a floating bridge cross. Again, that check uh, again. goes to Len Testa, folks. <laughs> Len Testa, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's not a bad, it's not a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, the other thing uh, Disney said, uh, Jim, uh, so masks are required, again, for guest stages three and up. Did you notice also they said that the, the policy will be enforced mm-hmm. by roaming bands of uh, cast members? I don't know if you saw the video just yesterday at Disney Springs, they opened the world of Disney. And at one point they had a six hour long line of people trying to get back. And today, six hour line as well. This morning, this morning, as we, uh, and the poor cast member that is trying, I mean, everybody's standing there with their mask on, on their phones. And there's this poor cast member trying to get people to maintain social distance. And it just, they would do it for a while and they'd collapse into to groups. And, you know, just, I mean, yeah. people. Well, that's just nudging. I mean, people, that, that happens. But, but, you know, Disney can remind people. I think the, uh, the big difference, I think people will comply with the masks, number mm-hmm. one, because most people understand it's the, it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But number two, you don't want to get kicked out of a, a theme park you just paid $150 to get in because you're 
you want to start saying that now it, that it's your constitutional right not to wear a mask mm-hmm. on private property. Not, not the debate that a lot of people are going to get into. So I think, I think, that, I think we're going to see very, very good compliance um, with that particular policy. I hope you're right. Also, they did say uh, temperature screenings to enter the parks. Mm-hmm. They didn't say anything about temperature screenings to check into the hotels. I'm guessing that's implied. Wasn't it like two or three weeks ago we saw the, the information going out about the new check-in on your phone and go straight to your room? Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't bother touching any of us or coming near, anywhere near any of us. Just go, yeah, go to your... So you, go to your uh, you have to wonder where would that temperature check be done? You know, it's just sort of... I mean, the poor, oh, guy, that's true. poor guy in the guard check. It's like, hey, let me walk around the car. That's true. How would they do it? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if, oh, that's true. Yeah. How would you do it? Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Maybe there won't be temperature screenings. But then the, the, I guess the question you would have is, is housekeeping going to come in in, in, in scuba suits <laughs> when they clean each room? I mean, they, they're going to snorkel in uh, another thing to be figured out. I don't know if you've seen, there are a couple of, of resorts that have shown the robotic cleaning device that literally goes into the room with ultraviolet light. And, yeah, yeah, you know, it. so strong, never mind killing germs. It's like, make sure you keep your pet out of the room. <laughs> it's peeling the wallpaper. It needed to be replaced that way. It's fine. <laughs> uh, a couple of other things in the parks. Uh, no meet and greets. Mm-hmm. We knew that. No play areas. Mm-hmm. No parades. No fireworks or up close character encounters. Again, we assumed all of that. Mm-hmm. Isn't uh, Shanghai, though, isn't Shanghai doing fireworks now? Uh, are they on the road to, to fireworks? I want to say in Disney Town, they might be doing something out on the lagoon. But remember, they actually limit the number of people who can be in Disney Town at any one time. Right. Yeah. So th- I'm assuming that that's what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of these things, Shanghai is the... Uh, the first draft mm-hmm. of a lot of what policies that we're going to see in oh. Walt Disney World. So if you want to look to the future, both metaphorically and literally, mm-hmm. look to Shanghai, because mm-hmm. I think we'll get a lot of that. I, um, I did hear but, one thing, though, that in regard to the fireworks show, one of the things they're weighing is how much the show actually costs. Remember that those fabricated things in the plaza back when the idea was that you were going to use your magic band to book in advance a spot to actually view the fireworks and how that right. that never caught on with the public right but you but you could have little dots that people that's stand on. it exactly i'd heard the same thing and we probably have two different sources for this mm-hmm. so that that might be some i don't think that's a day one thing but is that a fall no thing? no especially for like epcot yep i mean, I mean there's tons of space in world showcase mm-hmm. Yeah, people need to, th- to think three dimensionally when it comes to the Disney parks. Because think about it, Lynn. People have already purchased tickets to Mickey's Not So Scary. Yeah, again, Disney is going to want to honor those, and you know, and a Mickey's Not So Scary has to include without ca- without, without candy. Yeah, that's going to be candy. Likewise, you know, parade the, yeah. and that fireworks show in front of the castle. And so the the, the notion right. was that was, you know, the, the idea that, okay, as part of your Mickey's not so scary, you have an assigned spot to watch the fireworks from around the hub that, you know, they would literally, you know, you're in spot two, 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 you know, and head over to the left corral or that sort of thing. That's true. So they, they, they could alter the parade route so that everyone gets to see the parade. They could make it go through fantasy land mm-hmm. and then, yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. The not so scary parade is the best parade mm-hmm. in Walt Disney world. Yep. Yep. It'd be difficult to say, say goodbye to, uh, to that. So mm-hmm. they've got plenty of space there. They can do it. So if they limit the number of people, in the parks, they limit the number of tickets. They give everyone an assigned spot mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's not a bad idea. The other thing I was thinking of for fireworks, mm -hmm. if they wanted to do them, Jim. So let's say the Magic Kingdom closes at six or seven. It's not going to get dark until nine anyway, mm -hmm. 10 o'clock, yep. you know, nine, 930 mm -hmm. because it's summer. Just do the parade, do the fireworks after the park closes, right? So every everyone that's staying at a Magic Kingdom resort gets to see the fireworks. One of the other things that they're going to try to float is, oh, if you go back to your hotel room, you know, we're going to be simulcasting this. Exactly. Exactly. You do it. Yeah. Plus, you'll be able to see the upper parts of the castle. You could get some of the projection mm -hmm. if you're staying like at the Great Floridian or at the Contemporary. I mean, if you're at the Poly, mm -hmm. you won't be able to get to see the castle, but you will have a fantastic heads-on view of the fireworks. So that's that's worth something, too. If you talk with anybody who's working in Orlando right now, it's like, hey, yeah, the thing down at the Poly. And they're like, oh, you don't remember about the bungalows, do you? <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's plenty of space though along the walkway. Again, you can socially distance on the walkway. Maybe everyone gets their own brick <laughs> on the walkway. <laughs> Wait, we've done this before. <laughs> Wait. Okay, find your name. Find your name on the brick. Yeah. So, uh, a few other things. Uh, expect lots of contactless payment options mm -hmm. to be pushed. You'll you should see lots of plexiglass and uh, clear plastic tarp at points of purchase. I think we're all used to seeing that now. Disney did say, did you notice, Jim, in when they were talking about the sanitation and the cleaning efforts, that they would provide extra effort for the monorails and the buses, which implies that the monorails and the buses would be running. Yeah. Good. Good to know. And, and I'm assuming that they, uh, the Skyliner will also be running, and that was just sort of left off of the PowerPoint. It didn't fit in the, uh, in the little space that they had for the PowerPoint. I don't want to necessarily encourage folks to, to wander over the property to check this out, but... What's going to be happening over the next two and three weeks is bringing cast members back to train to do this cleaning while the system is on the move. You know, the whole notion yeah, of exactly. this train has just taken a group of people over to the kingdom, then like 10 people jump on the monorail and yep. clean it and then get off at the next station. I wonder if they'll be paid by the mile instead of the hour <laughs> for that. <laughs> note note to local union 438 renegotiate <laughs> well, well speaking of which did you see that that was one of the reasons chapek cited you know he he flat out got a question well why is it that universal is opening in june and you're opening in july and it's like well first of all walt disney world is so much bigger vastly more complicated right we have a transportation system that's the third largest in the state yeah behind miami and jacksonville but but, but right yeah. behind that was and we have a different labor situation it, they've got seventy five thousand people versus twenty five thousand people yeah. too plus contracts yeah i mean it's universal is like a and nothing is universal right i mean mm -hmm. fantastic resort. Yep. they're a town mm -hmm. disney world's a city and that's, that's a perfect analogy that's, right that's there the so yeah a couple of other things jim looks like fast passes are being canceled right now obviously if you're limiting park capacity you have to figure out how to do that one of the big questions that we have mm -hmm. is how much each ride's capacity is going to be reduced so if disney world for example is uh, let's say the magic kingdom is, is letting in and i'm making up a number here 20 mm percent -hmm. uh of its park capacity on day one. Mm -hmm. How much is ride capacity reduced due to social distancing? Because if ride capacity is reduced to 20% and there are 20% of the people in the parks, mm -hmm. you would expect that the wait times would be about the same as on a typical day, you know, give or take. So that's yet TBD. I think for some rides like Peter Pan, uh, Winnie the Pooh, you know, the uh, groups will be in each car. There may not be much, uh, much of an impact in ride capacity, but on things like Small World, or pirates, mm -hmm. where you can't fill every boat, you're definitely going to see much less capacity on those rides. Things like Big Thunder might be every other, every other train car or mm -hmm. every other row, something like that. Still got to figure that stuff out. Yeah. Also, Jim, the one thing I heard that uh, that, that Disney's trying to figure, figure out too, mm -hmm. and I don't know 
I don't know if we have a, if you've heard this as well, but a big question that they have on the the thrill rides, mm. like rock and roller coaster, big thunder mountain, whatnot is what happens if a mask falls off? My understanding is they have begun doing testing with that, you know, to the effect of yeah. putting cast members on these things, try this type of mask, try this type of mask. So yeah. the idea is that you could, in fact, identify somebody is getting on the attraction, you know, to the effect of, oh, you're wearing a bandana, you know, instead of a real mask, you're going to have an issue. But there's just this enormous education curve. It's also, it's a vacation with small children. There's going to be wild cards. You know, you have to prepare for contingencies. So I, I think out ahead of all of this, anybody who who decided they want to be among the first to get to back to the park. You know, in addition to packing sunscreen, bring along extra patience and understanding because yep. this is going to be just as tough on the cast members as it is on the people in the parks. You know, we're all learning as we go here. Yeah, we're all going to figure it out. Now, yeah, the thing is, too, I think so many people are going to be so excited just to get back into the parks. Oh, no, 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 totally. We'll, we'll all, we're all going to want to get along, you know? So I'm I'm super looking forward to it, too. Jim, uh, the thing that has gone unsaid to this point. Mm -hmm. Let me point this out explicitly. The resort's open June 22nd, which is 20 days before the Magic Kingdom opens. Mm -hmm. Do you think, because I'm, I'm betting against, let me just put it this way. Mm -hmm. I don't think that July 11th is going to be the day when Disney flips the switch and tries out all of these procedures for the first time. And what I mean by that is there's going to be some sort of soft opening of the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom before July 11th. I think that's, you might see DVC or AP previews mm -hmm. for these parks sometime between June 22nd and July 11th. I'm just saying I got some hotel reservations during that period, some DVC reservations. We'll see what happens. But for that to happen, you need to be in the lucky resort on the lucky day exactly. in the lucky group yeah. to get selected. So it's like if you're among that first group of people who are getting a campsite at Fort Wilderness, who you may be have to be ready to just be camping. No, no, no. That's yeah. I mean, going with the expectation that you're just going to camp yeah. for twenty days mm -hmm. or twenty one days, whatever it is. Yeah. And if the parks, if the parks do soft open, then that's a bonus. By the way, Jim, who knew? Uh, which of our, our DVC uh, owners knew when they were signing up for DVC that they were also signing up for some sort of like guinea pig program for uh, <laughs> for, for testing the park. Hey, congratulations, you joined Disney Vacation Club. Here's a benefit. We're going to try out some new procedures here. <laughs> Come on over. It's like signing, signing up for a, a new drug program. They are among the most loyal fans. So, you know. <laughs> You're loyal. Prove it. <laughs> that's, that's right. Take one for the team. You say you so, love the parks, yeah, but, you know. <laughs> wow. You said that. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, you are going to tell us about the history of the Millennium Celebration and the Mickey Arm Wand at Epcot. We'll be right back. All right, Jim. So the, uh, the genesis of this story idea was that Epcot is going to be the home of the 50th anniversary celebration for Walt Disney World. And as part of that, you brought up the fact that the last big time, the last time that Epcot was the center of a very big celebration was for the millennium mm -hmm. for the year 2000 yep. when it was the the host park mm -hmm. for all of those activities and in the course of that you and i were talking about show topics and one of those was the mickey arm wand at epcot and and i said you know we should we should talk about that uh, jim i didn't tell you at the time but of all of the things people have strong feelings about a lot of design decisions in walt disney world you remember the the when they redecorated the castle yes, for the 20th. Yes. And people 
lost their ever-loving minds mm -hmm. over that. And I never really understood that rage over that design. But as I was thinking about the Mickey arm wand, mm -hmm. that's exactly how I feel about the Mickey arm wand on Spaceship Earth. It was, it was an abomination <laughs> uh, to me. I hated that thing for years, years and years. It, it completely destroyed what Epcot was supposed to be for me. It was just, it was just a symbol that whoever designed it didn't really understand what the park was about. To this day, I look at it and it raises my ire. It gets my hackles up, as the kids say. Ugh. But anyway, uh, apparently there's some history around it. Yeah, we're going to talk yeah, about well, it now. No, no, I just have, <laughs> I'm going to sedate myself and you're going to talk. No, 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 no. I mean, you actually, you, you hit a lot of the, the key issues oh, already. I, I mean, you, you brought up the castle cake. We've talked about the number of bridezillas who canceled their, their weddings at the Disney wedding pavilion because they did not want that in the back of their photographs. But from a merch point of view... Anything that had the castle cake on it, whether it was a sweatshirt, a t-shirt, a coffee mug, a pin, sold ridiculously well. I'm sure that throwing Christians to the lions was popular with a large segment of the Roman population, Jim. I'm not saying that it's right. <laughs> Note to self, t-shirt with Romans. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so a little aside here before you begin. Laurel, I finally, finally finished the Imagineering story oh. on Disney+. Plus mm -hmm. And marvelous stuff. Great interviews. You know, Joe Rohde stuff was great. Kevin Rafferty stuff was great. Mm -hmm. Just fantastic, uh, fantastic stuff. Mm -hmm. But th there's only so much of Disney patting itself on the back mm -hmm. that I can stand before I start to make smart ass comments. Mm -hmm. So for me, it happened around the middle of episode five mm -hmm. when they were talking about how story is integral and design is integral mm -hmm. to, uh, to everything that they do mm -hmm. and that they pay so much attention to detail and everything has to fit seamlessly or the guests will understand it. And every time somebody ended a sentence, uh, you know, every time Joe Rudy stopped talking for a second or Kevin Rafferty stopped talking for a second, and I, I turned to Laurel and I said, this is where we talk about Dinoland USA. <laughs> like this next segment, this is where we talk about Dinoland in this next segment. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> and of course, it never did because I was, I was being smart about it. But, but a fantastic series. A fantastic I don't know. Series. They, they, mm -hmm. they did a great job. They definitely popped the hood on a lot of you know, the history of the company and the design process and all that. But when you enter a Disney theme park, you may call it Main Street USA. But if you talk with the folks who are designing the park, they talk about the retail corridor. You know, you are entering through a series of shops and shopping and souvenir buying is a key part of the Disney World experience. So the Magic Kingdom got the 25th anniversary and, you know, that was a 15 month long celebration running from October of 96 through December of, of 97. And then, of course, you know, comes 98, we have Animal Kingdom opening. So that's going to be the focus. And Animal Kingdom basically gets the first half of 1998 because the second half of 1998 is when Fantasmic is opening at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Is it really? So it's more than 20 years old. So it's, is it? Is it older than Illuminations now? Illuminations had various various incarnations, like uh, like the cast of General Hospital. It just keeps going. It's an organic thing that just yeah. parts come in, parts come out. It's all the same. Yeah. Okay. So 1999 was supposed to be Epcot's year, you know, and they were going to have their own equivalent of the 15 month long celebration. Disney kind of fudged the millennium. I mean, they they started it in 1999, but Len, the the millennium really didn't begin till December 31st, 2000. What is time, Jim? What is time? Here's Epcot, and they're staring down the barrel of, okay, that, that's going to be our time. And they're looking at the, the money 
that was made off of Castle Cake merch. But the only thing that sold more than the Castle Cake merch was the Sorcerer Mickey merch associated for the 25th anniversary. That just blew out the doors. In fact, if you went for the opening in, in October of 96, consider yourself lucky because by January they had basically gone clean on a lot of the merch and they had to frantically reorder. It didn't, in fact, arrive uh, at the resort till the late spring. So it was like, I'm here to celebrate. Where's my T-shirt? And it's like, I, it's on the boat from Taiwan. Just hang in there. <laughs> so here's Epcot looking at the two sets of figures and it's like, okay, so we want the castle cake like icon, but look at how much the Sorcerer Mickey stuff sold for. And it's like, can we do an icon that involves Sorcerer Mickey? And that's where the Millennium Icon Tower comes in, Len. Millennium Icon that's, Tower. That's what it was called in-house. They're talking about building a structure right next to Spaceship Earth. It's, it's literally, you know, you know, you're going to be able to see it from, you know, as you pull into the parking lot. This is an Epcot management team that's sort of looking over the figures. They, they had spent all of that money in 1994 to reinvent the center of Future World. They changed out Communicore for interventions, and that sure. really hadn't moved the needle. Attendance figures stayed solid, but you know they, they didn't see the surge they were looking for. And, and right. if they're going over the guest complaints, there's still this issue about, I view Epcot as cold. There's not enough characters. And it's like, okay, you want characters? How about a 200? 157 foot tall Mickey arm. That enough character for you? This thing, it's 25 tons of steel, Len. Wait, so hold on. So is this the is this the Mickey arm you're talking about or the Millennium Tower? Are they the same thing? They are the uh, you see, that's the thing. That you know, the world calls it the Mickey arm. In-house, it's the Millennium Icon Tower. Because again, the idea is okay. it's the icon for this event. Here's the thing. When you said Millennium Icon Tower, the first thing I thought of. Mm -hmm was the Tower of the Four Winds outside Small World in the 1964 World's Fair. I could have totally got behind that. Yeah. That would fit in thematically into Future World, right? To change the color scheme a little bit. You know, if they wanted to get that, all they had to do is to send a team of divers out into Flushing Bay. <laughs> you don't think, Jim, that I have, I've, I've, I've considered contacting James Cameron to say, are you using that submarine still? <laughs> the one that you used to find the Titanic? Because I got a thing I got over here in Queens. <laughs> Uh, I, I still want somebody, <laughs> some, you know, again, just the whole notion of it's out there. Somebody's got to try to chase that thing. Oh, but again, it's 64. What? You know, it's 65. It, 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 how many years under the water now? 55 years? <laughs> yeah. You know, if the Titanic's falling apart, what are the chances the yeah, Tower of the Four Winds yeah. is going to make it? Anyway. All right. So, okay. So we're calling it the uh, Millennium Icon Tower, the Mickey Arm. Fair enough. But again, it's, it's one of these things where, where they're positioning and what they're positioning next to opens this whole can of worms. I mean, yes, you know, in order to make sure that it, it's doable, you know, for example, the starburst at the top of the, the wand, that unto itself is 12,000 pounds all by itself. And that's made out of fiberglass and aluminum, you know, but this is Florida. We're, we're building this. You have to be ready for the category four hurricane to come right. in. Because they are three weeks out from the opening of the Millennium Celebration and what comes roaring through the Gulf but Hurricane Floyd. But Ooh. for Hurricane Floyd was the very first time Disney World was closed for more than a day. 
the early you know paths for that storm suggested that it was going to roll right through central Florida. And it's like, okay, this is not a drill. And the poor guys who are finishing the Millennium Tower are like, can we move that crane? How fast can we move that crane? Because yeah. <laughs> how fast do cranes move? We need to know this pretty quickly. All right, so let me ask you this question, Jim. Mm-hmm. The Leave a Legacy Tiles. Oh. They were there for the Millennium Celebration, right? Because They were, they were, and in fact, okay. we have to tell the story. Of the things that I, I've said I've hated in this story so far, along with the Mickey arm, I hated the Leave a Legacy uh, slabs. It looked like you were walking into a mausoleum, into a graveyard. I hated them from day one. And the, the, the thing that kills me about it, it's it's John Hank. No, that's it. That designed them. And that, I love John Hank. That, in fact, <laughs> that's the issue, Glenn. To give you some idea of the, the level of dysfunction in Imagineering during this, this period, which would hit its peak, by the way, with the redo of Journey into Imagination. With, with the less said, the better. But you've got one set of designers working on this giant, whimsical Mickey's arm, you know, that's going to loom over space at birth. But at the same time, you've got John Hench and his team who want to do something literally monumental. And so the, the notion is that let's do a modern Stonehenge. Let's frame Spaceship Earth with this this series of, of slabs that, that, that frame it. I think for me, from a design perspective, now that you mentioned Stonehenge, had they gone vertical with those things, mm-hmm. it would have been different for me because the way that they positioned them horizontally mm-hmm. broke up that wide space oh, it did. and made a lot of it unwalkable. But see, this is the thing. There were so many young Imagineers who, when they were looking, you know, when they put the, the two elements together, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. wow, peanut butters and, and anchovies. You know, that, that's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. You know, Look at this. This is not fantastic. Yeah, I know. But they're young, right? What, what are the point? It's John Hench. It's, John Hench. It's the, yeah, he is literally time. a Disney legend. He got made one of yeah. those in 1990. This is a guy who Walt himself turned to in 54 when it's like, I have no yeah. idea what to do with Tomorrowland. John can you help me? How do we say no to John Hench? It's like saying no to Walt himself. So they, yeah. they kept figuring at some point, somebody's going to kill this. And it's like, okay, so it got designed. And then it's like, oh, all right. Then it got signed off on. And then it got greenlit. And then there was money. And then we're actually building this thing. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Will, will no one stand up and stop this? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I probably would have uh, gone along with it, too. But I think, oh, yeah. Terrible. T- and that, that lived for what, 20? Oh, it actually, it outlived the, the Mickey arm, which finally yeah. came down uh, March of 2007, and it was gone in time for the 25th anniversary of Epcot. So Hurricane Floyd did go through. It didn't go through central Florida, but it was, yeah, it was still pretty windy. Well, they had sustained winds of over 55 miles an hour uh, with occasional sure. gusts almost up to 70. It still held in place. And, and a large reason that it held in place was the work of Robert Heiger. Heiger. Heiger, yeah. He worked for Exhibit in, uh, Engineers of Holliston, Massachusetts. Now, Robert... He knew a little bit about the stresses and strains that this particular corner of Epcot was under. Because back in 1979, Robert's dad, Dr. Frank Heiger, worked for Simpson, Gumptras, and Heiger of Arlington, Massachusetts. And that was the firm that Disney hired to try to figure out how to build Spaceship Earth. Oh, my God. What a coincidence. So, so, so the dad is an architect who works on Spaceship Earth. And then the son is like, 
I got to attach this arm to it. Imagine what those dinners are like. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Thanksgiving <laughs> must have been a joy. You know, but they didn't know they were hiring the son of the guy who designs Fate for Earth. And as the story goes, that, you know, the dad finds out about the assignment and literally goes into the garage and pulls out all the schematics and all of the blueprints of Spaceship Earth and hands them to his son. You're probably going to need these. <laughs> Here's where we hit the bodies. Don't dig there. <laughs> You've made your feelings quite clear about the arm. Let me just stick in the knife and twist it a little bit before we close here, Len, because the, the Millennium Icon Tower did exactly what the folks at Epcot had hoped it would do. It emerged. Cast a blight over the land? <laughs> Well, that and sold a mountain of merch, a, a literal mountain of merch. So much right. so that the folks at Disney MGM, they're already on tap to be the host park for the 100 Years of Magic, the 100th anniversary of the birth of Walt Disney. Single greatest promotion Disney ever did. Really? Okay, go ahead. Okay. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. They're looking at what this event made. And they were they were ruthless, Len. I mean, the catchphrase for the Millennium Celebration was celebrate the future hand in hand. But you remember the logo? Celebrate the future. It was uh, two Mickey Mouse gloves, There we right? go. All right. So again, you, you're shoehorning Mickey into anywhere he will go, and the merch just flies out the door. And so sure. they're like... We need this as well. So this explains the 122-foot-tall sorcerer hat that ends up. Oh, <laughs> is that what that? That's how we got that. That's how you got from the, that from the arm. God, it's it's like crickets turning into a, lo- a plague of crickets turning into a plague of locusts. Again, it was the Millennium Alcon Tower. Whereas yeah. when we got to the studio. It got positively naked, Len. I mean, think about it. You know, you walk up the street to the Sorcerer's Hat, and it's like, okay, so what wonderful exhibit or what wonderful attraction is going to be inside of this? Yeah. It's like, now it- What callback to Disney history is <laughs> is is housed in this remarkable yeah. structure? It's a gift shop. Want to buy some pins? Yeah, yeah. no, that's it exactly. So you know, the Millennium Icon Tower got pulled down after seven years. The Sorcerer's Hat was in place from uh, September 2001 all the way through to 2015, I want to say. At least 2013. Yeah, yeah, it was 2015. Yeah. That one, you know, we had that wonderful kind of designed Hollywood Boulevard that, you know, was supposed to aim you right toward this park's castle, the Chinese theater. That's 14 years, 13 years. You're right. It was 2015. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Wow. So when they pulled down this 500,000 pound structure, at least a couple of pieces made it out of the landfill. Really? In fact, yeah, I was just looking. Uh, there was an auction a couple of months back where, in fact, this is the description from the auction catalog. This is a section of three gold and silver metallic reflectors used in the giant wand that adorned Spaceship Earth from 2000 to 2007. The wand wand was installed as part of the Millennium Celebration and dismantled prior to Epcot's 25th anniversary. The wand was destroyed and buried in the landfill. These are among the only pieces to survive. Wow. It's funny that you mentioned mentioned auctions, because whenever I go onto eBay and look for Epcot, memorabilia, especially pre-2000, mm-hmm. I, I have to add the filter in for the to say, you know, minus sign Mickey arm <laughs> so, so that it doesn't even show me those things. I hate it that much. Okay, well. Like, I, I don't, even want to, don't even want to see the pictures of it on the, uh, all right. uh, on eBay. Then we'll shut this down. We've tortured Lynn enough for today, <laughs> folks. All right? it's, it's a sensitive time for all of us, Jim. There we go. So. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for the Disney Dish 
show today, please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We've got one coming up on the history of the Finding Nemo subs at Disneyland. It should be a real treat. On next week's regular show, Universal and Disney have new surveys out, and hopefully we'll know even more about the theme park reopening plans. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will dress as a giant strawberry and bungee jump off the Midland Trail Bridge into a floating fountain of chocolate on the Greenbrier River as part of the Lewisburg Chocolate Festival, April 10th, 2021, in beautiful downtown Lewisburg, West Virginia. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.